Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Georgie Crawford on the life changes giving her the good glow lately. Fiona Brennan launches our monthly therapy session where she'll be answering your emails. And Marie McCarthy, the mindset coach on getting yourself and your kids ready for back to school. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I just think this week has shot by. It's the last full week of the kids' summer holidays, so I've just been trying to soak all of that up. So there was a beach afternoon and I've been taking my morning cuppa and even my breakfast out to the garden. And I have to say, even though there is something to love about every season, I'm not really going to want to let go of these warmer temperatures and brighter evenings. And I hosted a seminar this week on decluttering and reorganising our homes. And I feel like we know it, but we forget how much of an extension of ourselves our home is and how we keep it can really impact on our well-being. My guest was Sharon Reynolds of Organised Chaos and she was saying it is completely normal and totally understandable that in today's mix of our busy lives, lots of demands on our time and the fact that we live in an age where we can shop at the click of a button, our homes can become overrun with stuff that we just never take the time or get the time to sort. And she also spoke about the emotions we place on the things we keep and the things we can't let go of. It was really interesting. Now, I've been fairly ruthless with clear outs because I've moved twice over the last two years. And I do sometimes pour over social media accounts where you get those sort of before and afters, usually of celebrities' homes where they have these massive big food rooms that get alphabetized and all the spices go in label jars and all their walk-in wardrobes get colour coordinated. And, you know, that that is very pleasing to the eye. But to bring it back to basics, there's also nothing quite like when you do get stuck into, say, your bedroom and you clear out the wardrobe and you take lots of stuff to the charity shop and you can see everything that you have and you do a big deep clean. You sleep easier that night. So I'm going to ask Sharon to come on over the coming weeks. So if you have any questions for her, you can get them into me alive and kicking at newstalk.com. And I felt better in myself this week and I'm putting it down to not drinking last weekend. So my energy levels were the same coming into the week. And I also made the time to get into the sea a couple of times. Sometimes it seems frustrating, the things that we know that work for us that we forget. But then the good thing is we get to remember and enjoy them all over again. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Ma'am, sometimes I crave routine and maybe it's because the weather was a little shoddy this summer. I'm not too mad about back to school next week. But Marie McCarthy, the mindset coach, joins me in studio now to help us all get back on track. Marie, you're very welcome. Thanks so much, Claire. Great to see you again. I can't believe we're going back to school already. I can't. Is it because of the weather? Is it because it doesn't feel like, you know, we spent hours on the beach, you know, eating our dinner there? That didn't happen. So... Is that why I'm struggling? I think we're still waiting for the summer. I know I am. Yeah, I am. I remember the summers where I was like down in the cove, like when I was pregnant with Marish and I was down on the cove the whole summer. Yeah. And I didn't get that. So I'm still waiting for it, I think. And then it goes in the blink of an eye because you're waiting, waiting, waiting for the little bit of fine weather. And then you're like, I can't believe I have to get school uniforms organised again. (laughs) What's after happening? I know. And as Irish people, we're so obsessed with talking about the weather. But I think it's because it impacts our lives so much. Absolutely. Because we don't get that much sun. So when we do want it and we get it, we're 
craving it. The proper seasons to go, this is summer behaviour, this is winter behaviour. It's kind of all year round. And I had a moment at the sink the other day and it's looking out at a window and it was four o'clock and I was like, in a few months time, it's going to be pitch black now. I had the same thought, yeah, the other day. Anyway, on that cheery note. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know, it's so depressing. Because the kids are going back to school, the sun will come back out again and there will be summer. But the routine is coming back. And look, I'm kind of joking about dreading this early mornings, you know, rushing out the door, all the training's going to be back on swimming, absolute shudder. All of that coming back into our lives takes a bit of a mindset shift. But I want to talk a bit as well about the kids going back to school because there's a real spectrum of how this can affect kids. They don't want the summer and the fun and the, you know, blazing about to be over any more than we do. But there are some kids who are going to be really quite anxious about what's coming. A hundred percent. And kids crave routine. So sometimes actually, if you ever notice, even at the start of the summer holidays, the routine is a little bit all over the place. So kids can even struggle with that. But would you... You know, it's it's really interesting when you look at kids going back to school because they crave um, the routine. So it can affect about two to five percent of school age children. And that's according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. So but how do you know it's just a ploy not to go to school or it's an actual significant real thing? So we're going to explore preschool, national school and then secondary school. We're going to look at the causes going to look at some signs maybe that parents can kind of watch out for and then what to do about it. Because for kids, even though some of them love school, more of them really, really, really struggle with it. And I suppose I've kind of come across this from my own experience and it blindsided me with my own daughter starting national school. And I think also with kids as well, we nearly actually assume they're going to be okay going into national school because they've had two years of play school. Whereas we didn't have play school when we were growing up and we're five and we're landed at this building and we are expected to just go in and behave and sit quietly and do your homework and do your lessons. Do you know what I mean? So actually, I still remember my very first day of school and that can leave a lasting memory for kids. And sometimes depending on how their school goes and how their environment is within school, it actually can leave lingering mindset issues for them in their later life. So when I'm working with clients, we actually can link it back an an awful lot of the time to sometimes school and where school might have been a challenge. Um, And that then creates that neurological pathway that they have learnt behaviours and they maintain that going forward in their life. So it's really important to look at it now and look at anxiety in kids going to school. And it's a very real thing that actually can last for quite a long time and often into their adulthood. Okay, Marie, you're you're actually adding to the anxiety here now. (laughs) Okay, I know. (laughs) Tell us how we can manage it and and take it away. But you're right, there is so much going on in schools. There's like social standing, there's social skills, there's, you know, towing the line and behaving a certain way, whether it's bringing all the right stuff in your school bag, wearing the right uniform, listening to the teacher. And then you're getting graded on your ability. So there is a huge amount as a human being you get used to within the classroom. So how does it present differently then from the toddlers going to preschool to the little ones going to national school to the teenagers going to secondary? 
Perfect. So let's talk about, I suppose, in terms of preschool, let's look at preschool first. Okay. well, the biggest thing for preschool, so you're going to play school, they have no concept of time. So they don't understand, like, is it going to be an hour? To them, it may feel like it's a whole year in terms of time for them. So time is is a big one for preschool. They don't understand time. When you say you're going to collect them after a certain time, they have no idea when that is, okay? Also, um, when you say we have to go, they have no understanding that yes. that means now. Yeah, and also <laughs> it could be like separation anxiety as well. So just look for areas. Did they suffer um, or did they have any anxiety when they were in creche or anything like that? So separation anxiety from their parents. And especially when you think about it, people have been in COVID for a couple of years. We've been in lockdown. So they're getting used to as well being around parents an awful lot more because parents are working from home. And then they're shipped off to a place for X amount of hours and they're trying to figure out how am I fitting in with all of this and why do I have to go here? Even though it's play, they still can struggle with that a little bit. So just watch for, you know, was there any separation anxiety when they were in crash and things like that? And just be mindful about how the home environment has changed and that home in terms of the parents working outside of the home and now maybe parents are working in the home a lot more. So they see them a lot more. And um, how do you manage that for them then over the next couple of days before they begin? Yeah, so we can go into, I suppose, in terms of preschool then what to do with them so a big thing is to even gauge the day for them so look at breakfast time lunch time and dinner time so I'm going to drop you to play school after breakfast and I'm going to collect you when you've had your little lunch in play school and before our lunch because kids can't tell the time even in national school up until a certain point they can't tell the time and I've noticed this with my own daughter she gauges and manages the day around the meal times because they understand oh okay I'm going here after breakfast but I'm going to be home again by lunchtime so you're putting a little bit of window on it for them um Things like getting them involved then in terms of like, you know, their backpack, what do they want for lunch? And at nighttime, it's really important to let them talk, ask them about how they're feeling. So in their little nervous systems, it can show up in terms of like um, headaches, they might get some diarrhea, vomiting, things like that. And that's just their third brain in their gut and it's disrupted. They've gone into their fight or flight. So they're anxious. So it can manifest itself physically for them. So it's trying to understand that with them. Nighttime is a great way to talk to them. Lie down, read the story, talk to them about it. Let them actually tell you what their fears are. Play school, they may not understand what their fears are and may not be able to demonstrate that. But it's back to the reassurance. I'm going to pick you up. If you're not happy, the teacher will ring me. I'll come pick you up and I'm coming to pick you up or so-and-so is coming to pick you up and put a bit of structure around that. Um, And just talking about it and reassuring them. It's kind of like trying to ride your bike or trying to go on your scooter for the first time. You were really nervous, but believe in yourself. You can do this and it's going to be really fun. It's happy meeting the teachers, even driving up past the school you know, and it's so exciting. I can't wait to see you go to school. Things like that before you can go there. Even just driving up past the school um, to show them where it is. And it's really lovely. You've lots of play. You've lots of fun. I'm so jealous that you're going. Um, and on letting them understand too, I know you're going to miss me. Because that's a big thing for smaller kids, especially in play school. 
I'm going to miss you. And that's okay too. Yeah, so to validate that. To validate that. And there's a good book I'll recommend actually at the end of this too. And it's a really great book. Uh, Throw it in there, yeah, The Invisible String. It's by Patricia Cars. The Invisible String and The Invisible String um, Backpack as well. That's a really good book that you can read with your child. Um, And it's basically that even though you may not see me, I'm still here and we have a string connected to each other. Yeah. And kids can really get on board with that. I also saw a friend on Instagram when her little one started. She drew a little biro heart on her inside of her wrist and the little girl had it as well and she's like if you're missing me look at that and know that I'm looking at mine too and it's just some like a little tool for them exactly my Gorgeous. sister is a teacher um, so she has a greater understanding of kids as opposed to me fudging my way through parenting but she would often prepare her kids so you know she lives abroad even for the airport she would be showing them things on YouTube about the inside of the plane so about the inside of the classroom about the teacher about what's expected because we assume they understand an awful lot of what something is going to be and and of course they don't so let's yeah. move on then to junior school then and and those that are a little bit bigger because we do tend to talk about big school and being a big girl or a big boy or whatever it is and we big it up to be this yeah. massive thing so no wonder they're clinging to our legs as we approach the door. And you're wondering why because they've been in play school for two years so what's wrong? And this happened to me I couldn't believe it when Mirren um, was a bit anxious about going into the Grail School however she's been in the Nina so all her pals and everything are going in but the biggest thing is trying to understand I suppose what's going on for the child. Because in our heads, we may have an idea of what that is, but actually it could be completely the opposite for the child. The first thing you need to do is sit down with them or at night time when you're reading them a story, try and figure out like what actually are they anxious about? Because when you understand what they're anxious about, then you can put a plan in place and work through it together to figure out how can I help reduce this? But to normalise as well these feelings and that everything new is going to be a little bit scary. It's going to be uncertain because I don't know maybe the environment. It might be a new school you're moving to. And just to help normalise and say these are totally normal feelings and it's okay to have these feelings. But sometimes they will manifest as a tantrum, anger, frustration. So we really have to get to the root cause of it because if we understand that, then you can put that plan in place. And with sometimes like with national school, it can be a big thing around homework, right? They've never had to do homework really before. Homework is a new concept. They have no concept of what homework is. So they're putting pressure on themselves. Am I going to be able to do it? If the teacher asks me, will I be able to say it? And that's as they develop even through national school and go through to the different, you know, classes and they're moving upwards in school. Um, They may sometimes have undiagnosed learning difficulties as well that sometimes actually doesn't really show up until they're in school as well. Um, So it's just and the big thing is, look, parents know their own child. You know their own abilities. You know their form. So if they're off, you know how to investigate and figure out actually what's going on. Because a lot of the times there can be lots of things in social media, and I'm very conscious as well, lots of things out in social media which are amazing and great tools to help. But know, you know your own child first and foremost. 
So tap into actually what do I need to do to help my child? And then what else can I use that could maybe guide the parent through that journey? Yeah. And quite often you'll get the I don't feel well, I don't want to go to school, I have a pain in my tummy. And I suppose they're the butterflies and they can't put a word on it. And I have a child psychologist friend, Jenny Ryan, and, you know, she said quite often as parents, we start to use the word anxiety. You have anxiety and it gets to be like this cloud that just comes that we have no power over. But she said, if you take the weight out of it and Mm. just say you have a worry what is your worry? Um, exactly. That that is just an easier way to get into it. And obviously yeah. having worries, being nervous are all very normal things. Yeah. And we can we can do these hard things. Tricky things happen. I felt it going to work in a new job. I've gone to school. I know how you are, how you feel. Um, but we'll get through this and I'm here to support you and I'll be there to pick you up and we'll sit on the couch together. That's kind of the the language you want because we can't actually fix these things for our kids much as we want to sit in that classroom and tell the mean ones to stop and tell everyone to be their best friends. We can't. Life is. And we're not helping them by doing that either. No. Do you know what I mean? As much as we want to, obviously our natural thing is to protect our children and to help them. But you're actually not enabling them then those life skills that are so important to figure out, okay, I have a worry. I'm not comfortable about this, but I've overcome it. Yeah. And I think sometimes to even, you know, the kid. Mark that, you know, Mm. a few months in and like give it the few months. Like these things aren't going to change overnight. Exactly. And then say, well done you. You haven't said anything about being worried about school for a long time. And look at the the friendships you have. And well done. You did that. I think it's really important. I, I forget to do that all the time. And there's a great tip that you can do for that, right? And it's even sitting around at night time, having your dinner, you know, having maybe a couple of meal times because people are busy and there's lots of schedules and, you know, people are working and there's lots of other activities. So even just trying to carve out a couple of nights a week where you're all sitting at the table, or if you get to pick them up from school, what's the one thing you did good today? Now, just even one thing. Now, guaranteed they're going to tell you lots of things. But what that is doing, it's connecting the thought with an emotion. And you're moving it into a deeper sense from a neuroscience perspective. So that emotion gets locked in tighter. Yeah. So they feel, actually, I did do a good thing today. And when you link it with the emotion, it stays within them much better. So if you can keep building on those little things every single day, even before you're dropping them off in the school, and if they're a bit worried, say, listen, what's the one good thing you did yesterday? Okay, well, what would, I'm really looking forward to hearing what's the one good thing you're going to do today. Yeah. And that just locks it in a lot tighter for them. It's almost like when you hear your favourite song, it evokes a memory because you've tapped the emotion in with the thought process. Now, sometimes I find after school they're a little bit overwhelmed and you kind of get them into the car seat or strap them in, whatever it is. Yeah. And you say, how did you get on? Did you have a good day? And they're not ready to talk no. then. I think bedtime sometimes is one of the best things. Exactly. And you I know? always get when I come back, what you do today? Nothing. Yeah. What you do? I can't remember. And you're like, <laughs> how is that? Yeah. But they've so much that they're processing. To be fair, they just need to decompress sometimes too. And that's okay. Come home, decompress. And you know, home is the safe place. 
And home is where sometimes they will let it out then as well and they'll show it up um, as frustration and things like that and they'll let it all out. But that's great. And then have the conversation when they've kind of calmed down and you've calmed down and just given a little bit of time and a little bit of space and then have a conversation. For the younger kids, it's easy to do that at night time. But obviously with secondary school kids, they're not really going to be too keen on you lying down with them at night time and reading a bedtime story. Those days are gone. So we need to look at ways then as well for secondary school kids and how we can help them. Um, so I suppose with secondary school kids, they have obviously hormones that are at play. They're going from as well being where kids look up to them. You know, they're the older ones, the younger kids in national school are looking up to them and they're kind of like, you know, important. And then they go into secondary school and they're the young ones again. Mm, and then I remember the feeling that. that it's like snakes and ladders. Yeah, you're like, I have to start again. <laughs> and then they're also going through that phase where they were very dependent on you and now they're starting to branch out and not need you as much. And yet they still really need you. So it's a it's a really tricky time for all concerned. So and what's your advice? So for my advice with secondary school ones, um, I suppose, is again, listening without judgment. That's a big thing because we can be very quick probably to give the answer or to um if they have an issue and a problem that they're talking about, you we can tend to roll in with our thoughts and our judgment on that, right? So just listen without judgment. And then it's trying to find somewhere that you can engage in a conversation. Um, walks are always great or if, they're, if they have a hobby or a sport, you know, you're picking them up afterwards. The car is always a great one because they can't run away or avoid you. Um, and it's just trying to find somewhere where, again, it could be sitting around at the dinner table. That question around what did you do well today in school? That may be enough of a question to provoke a conversation with them to say, oh, actually, well, this happened and this happened, but actually I did do one good thing. So that could be an area where you could look at, but find what works best for you and your family um, and then just carve out that area for conversation. Um, And then again, it's like reassuring and support for them, understanding that I know you're nervous. They have a lot more going on in terms of, I don't maybe know everyone, there's new people, old friendships, new friendships. How do I navigate and mitigate against through all of this academic performance? They have a lot more subjects. Sometimes it could be even a case of they're coming from a school where they didn't have a uniform and now they're going into a case where they have a uniform. So again, reassuring them, this is really amazing. So when you learn how to... um, understand this yourself and how you have come out of it really strong and empowered. These are great skills that you're going to be able to use for the rest of your life. It's so empowering and it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to have fears and anxieties. We don't always have to label them anxiety as well. Just talk to them about the feelings and the emotions that they're feeling and that that's okay. And again, the biggest thing is probably just no judgment around it. And then work it out then, well, what areas, again, investigate, find out what really is the problem. Because if you don't work out what they're struggling with, you go off on a tangent and it's the completely wrong thing. So that's, I think, really the critical part is really understanding for your child what is going on for them. And then how can we help work? What would help you? 
What would help you in this situation? Don't give them the answer. Let them come up with the solution themselves. Yeah, it's tough because I know there's so many teenagers who just slam doors in faces and it's kind of part of the process. But yeah, let them figure it out, validate and good luck to you all. Good luck to us all and to you. Marie, where can people find you? Brilliant. Thank you so much. Marie McCarthy coaching.com and Marie McCarthy Mindset Coach on Instagram. If anyone has any questions or anything, I'd be happy to share. Just drop me a message and I'd love to help anyone that's struggling with it. Marie McCarthy, thank you so much. Thanks, Claire. Good to see you. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Now, clinical hypnotherapist and author of The Positive Habit and The Self-Love Habit, Fiona Brennan, has been on the show over the years, but she's about to become a bit more of a regular and I'm delighted about that. Fiona, you're very welcome. Thank you, Claire. So happy to be here. We did an Instagram live during the week to announce that you are going to come on monthly and as part of your therapy on the couch sessions that you do online, you're going to bring them here to Alive and Kicking and monthly answer the issues and dilemmas of our listeners. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like we were saying, Claire, I'm I'm on a mission to really help as many people as I can. And when it comes to therapy, you know, not everybody can afford private one to one therapy. Um, there can be long waiting lists. There can be lots of obstacles for people. So this platform provides a really much needed opportunity for people to, to get their questions answered. And uh, I have over 12 years clinical experience and I think that's just so valuable because I recognise patterns and I can really start to, to piece things together for people. And that's what a lot of therapy is. It's that sense of having support, non-judgmental support from someone who's only intention is to really, really help you to understand yourself and the world in a more clarity and also, you know, to help you to form a more positive connection to yourself and to everyone around you. Do you think we are getting more accustomed to therapy as a a, a healing modality here in Ireland? I think so, Claire. Slowly, definitely. I mean, there was a time where you'd be, you know, absolutely mortified to say that you'd been to see your therapist. Um, I always think it's like a Woody Allen film, you know, I've been to my therapist and, you know, they're much more comfortable maybe um, across the water. But we are definitely catching up. And I think especially in the younger generation, it is just so much more accepted and normal and the value is seen and people notice the progress. You know, that's one of the most positive things that comes back is when people say, my family are telling me I'm just much easier to live with, you know, after being through therapy. And that is fundamentally helping not just the client, but but everyone around them. Because there can still be a bit of an eye roll. And it's interesting that you mention America because we kind of think, you know, everyone has a therapist and how ridiculous it is to sit and talk through your feelings in a room with someone, but how necessary it is to sit and talk through your feelings with someone because they can help you pick apart your reactions, your behaviours, your thought patterns, and you can only learn more about yourself and benefit from that. Absolutely. That's what it is. It's a, it's a sort of journey of self-awareness and understanding. And, you know, the whole idea that it's navel-gazing or um, selfish is, is something that is really quite the opposite. Because, like I said, you, you 
you understand yourself better. You start to understand others better. You are moving from a reactive place into a responsive place. And I think that, you know, that stigma is is slowly moving in the right direction as in it's it's getting less and less. I do think that in the workplace, there's still a lot of fear around, you know, being open about it and saying I'm going for therapy or talking about it. Um, and that is something I hope, you know, again, will start to, to change and evolve with time. Yeah, I hope that we normalise it more and more. I yeah. think there should be a therapist in every school. Yes, you know, and we that all, should be the yeah. norm so that we just know that this is a tool and this is something that you can yeah. lean on. So we're going to invite listeners to anonymously send in things that are going on with them and for them. Yeah. Alive and kicking at newstalk.com is the email address. Um, are there common themes that come through in clinic time and time again? Yeah, absolutely. There really is. And one of the most un- sort of things I see a lot is people not really knowing what's wrong. And that's a real sign that, you, you know, you're in the right place to get therapy. A sort of, you know, low level but chronic feeling of anxiety or low mood and just not understanding what is the cause of that and getting very frustrated with that and feeling, you know, a lot of shame around it. And um, so... That would be one of the things. Another thing that I I see a lot of is people who are at transitionary times in their life. So, you know, maybe they've just had a a child, maybe they've lost a parent and they're starting to question things for the first time that they may never have done. And that's a really good opportunity to start to, to know more about yourself, to understand yourself and ultimately to love yourself, you know, um, from that place of of non-judgment. And essentially that is what's so therapeutic is the relationship in therapy, is that the therapist represents someone who can be like the parent that we never had. And, you know, maybe we did and that's great, but, but not everyone has that sense of unconditional love and acceptance. And it echoes or mirrors that feeling that we want to create for someone inside of themselves so that you become this amazing support to yourself. Um, It's something that I have experienced myself and I've seen in so many clients and it's just incredibly rewarding when you see that transition um, start to take place, that people really do become so much more self-compassionate, so much more their own friend, their own support. So, yeah. That's why I think it is important for us to consider professional help in certain situations if you are privileged enough to be able to pay for that and and find that. Um, Because talking to our friends, talking to our partners, talking to our family is important. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there is a kind of a connection there. And this is somebody who is completely objective. That's it. Yes, it's very different. Yeah. Now, we did put a call out on Instagram the other evening and one came through and it's interesting that you mentioned the low level because this is what came through in one of the emails. Um, I'll read it to you now. I am in my late 30s with two young children. I'm in a happy and healthy relationship with my partner. I work part time and feel very fulfilled in my work. I have a good circle of friends and get on well with most people. I feel I have a good balance in my life and I know I am blessed. However, I often feel low and anxious and this frustrates me. I notice that I get way worse when I meet my mother. 
We are not close and it really upsets me. I have friends who seem to be best friends with their mothers and I wish I didn't feel so uneasy around her. While I love her a lot, I feel disconnected from her and I wish that I didn't react in the way that I do when I'm with her. I get sulky and I act like a teenager. She's a great granny and I even feel jealous when she spoils my kids. I hate feeling like this. What can I do to make things better? And I think as well, like that's not necessarily something you're going to say over lunch with your girlfriends. Yeah, that's true, Claire. So you can yes. fess up to us here by email <laughs> and to Fiona. Yeah. Um, do common themes jump out? Have you oh, heard this yes. many times? I really have. Like I said, that kind of not really understanding, but this listener we can see has definitely got a really good level of self-awareness that she's been able to sort of... Uh, connect the feeling to to her mother. So, so she feels pretty good most of the time, maybe. Um, however, any time that she maybe meets her mother or is about to meet her or her mother phones or anything like that, she might notice that anxiety starting to come in and then it can kind of linger. So this brings up a huge question, really, um, of that mother and daughter relationship. And when we're out of sync with our mother, it has a really knock-on effect in terms of our ability to feel at peace and at ease with ourselves. And it's a complicated relationship. And one of the things, you know, that that is not helping here is that idea of comparing, you know, this idea of looking at our friends and, and, and thinking that their relationships with their mothers are perfect. Because the truth is that, that you know, we don't know what's going on. It may appear to be that, um, but often there is there is a sort of multi-layered, um, complex relationship. And what I would say is that it's so important to start to understand that, to start to take away this feeling of frustration around it or hating to feel like this acceptance is always the beginning and it's the hardest part, to be honest, when working with a client um, is helping them to move into that place of, of, of being at peace with their feelings as they are. And, you know, they can be so uncomfortable. However, it's where you are and it is the beginning. It's not the end. And I think that's just so helpful to be able to say, OK, this is how I feel now, because as long as the resistance continues, the feelings will not actually improve, they will amplify, which is probably what's happening here. And I have seen that pattern before. So ultimately, you know, it's removing the guilt and the shame over the, the feelings. It's a sense of really starting to understand the nature of the of the early bond. So the work of John Balby is, is, is very well known in terms of attachment theory and exploring what kind of attachment maybe you had with your own mother at that point. And often, you know, it's it, like I said, it's complex. So with this mother, a feeling of disconnect is actually really hard because, you know, we want to feel that closeness. We want to feel that bond. It seems so natural. Um, and when we have our own children again, like it's her children are young. So that would really indicate that she's starting to, to question things. You know, it's like, well, I seem so affectionate or, you know, easy with my own children. Why wasn't it like this with my own? Um, so what seemed normal now starts to, to, to take on a, a different perspective. So to move forward, like what I would say is, is really understanding your attachment um, type and, you, you know, that a good therapist will talk you through that. But also starting to, to look at 
the the nature of your own mother's relationship with her mother, because that we can get a lot of answers there in terms of how close were they, what kind of care did she have, and starting to take away a lot of expectation of how we think our mothers should be, and starting to accept, and that's why acceptance is so important because. When you're practicing self-acceptance, then you're much more able to do it for the people you love. And I've seen this transition with with many clients over the years been, you know, really improving the relationship with their mother by working on the relationship with themselves. So one thing that's really helpful um, that I've recommended a lot, and I would say it to this person, is everything that you feel you're lacking, you know, that feel of disconnection, let's say, that feeling of... um, lack of closeness or uh, warmth is to start to, to to cultivate that within yourself and then to direct it towards your mother. Because the chances are your mum would just love to have that coming towards her. Now, this takes a lot of, you know, work and time and energy, but it's so worth it because you're supplying the very thing that you feel you are lacking yourself. And that creates the, the dynamic and the energy just starts to shift in a way that that has been stagnant. So when you say, when this listener says, you know, that you've been acting like a teenager or sulky, you know, that is really hard because you're like, this is not what I'm like, you know, and it, it can be very unnerving. So trying to sort of move away from that pattern, that kind of conditioned response and into one that's much more aware, mindful and conscious is going to help you. So a lot of my work is based on mindfulness and, you know, um, conscious living and being aware of of your own um, inner landscape, if you like, and moving that towards improving the relationship. Another thing that I would say when she asked, like, what can I do? I would say that, you know, it would be helpful to start to create positive experiences together I love this listener's honesty, like to be able to admit to a feeling of jealousy takes great courage, doesn't it, Claire? You know, to be able to say, I feel jealous. It's such an uncomfortable emotion. And to feel jealous of your own children, you know, that in itself is just so courageous and so helpful. And that's what I love is that when we share how we feel, we help others. We realise that we're not alone here, you know, that maybe that's something someone else listening has felt also. So what I would say is, you know, what would be really helpful on a practical level is to maybe say to your mother, why don't we do this together? Let's go off somewhere, you know, maybe out for a walk in nature or whatever your mother likes to do. Start to kind of create space where it's just you and it's just her. Because when the kids are there, you know, obviously it can start to, they take the focus and, and that's um, great and fine. But it, it it doesn't leave room for your own relationship to start to kind of, or to continue to evolve. And, and, and that's what you want. You want the relationship to evolve into one where you become equal as opposed to um, stuck in old and quite often um, unhelpful patterns from the past. So do you replace them? So say this listener's mother is over and she's playing with the kids or sitting at the kitchen table and that feeling of jealousy comes up or that Mm. feeling of why are we not close and what, you know, I'm not like other friends of mine. Do you catch yourself in that moment and say, it's OK for me to feel this way. I'm working on this. Yeah. We're working on this together. Just replace it with something else rather than letting it completely 
overwhelm us because we spiral off, don't we? And yeah. we say, oh my God, why am I feeling this? What's wrong with me? What did my mother do? What didn't she? And then you're just into this much bigger thing that can Absolutely. swamp you where you just tread the water a little more with something. As Look, it's the name of your book, A Positive Habit and a Self-Love Habit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, Claire. That's so spot on and so helpful because it is catching yourself in that moment, right? And And being aware. And that's why the more we're connected to our feelings inside, the more that we are able to sort of intervene there with love and with care. So that's really helpful. And I feel like when we become parents, we kind of get a greater understanding of our own parents. And there's a lot of stuff that comes up and a lot of healing that has to go on. We think our parents are magical beings, but they're actually just fallible humans like (laughs) ourselves. So I'm sure we will revisit that relationship time and time again. But The email address is open. Fiona will be back next month to answer another one of your questions. So get them in alive and kicking at newstalk.com. Fiona Brennan, thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. And you can find out more about Fiona at thepositivehabit.com and sign up for her free weekly newsletter. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Now, Georgie Crawford's podcast, The Good Glow, is listened to by millions all over the world. Her book, Glow, Five Steps to Create Your Dream Life, became a bestseller when it was released in April. And in the next few weeks, she's heading to meet her new baby by surrogate with her gorgeous family. 2023 is a very big year. She's also the ambassador for the Boots Night Walk this year in aid of the Irish Cancer Society Night Nursing Service. To me, she is my beautiful, supportive friend and she joins me in studio now. Georgie, you're very welcome. Oh, Thank you so much. And I stand in my kitchen every Sunday morning listening to this show. So it's my favourite radio show. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I hope you'll listen to yourself. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) 2023 has been huge, hasn't it? And you also reached the five year mark, which I know on a cancer journey is massive. Yeah, 23 has been a really beautiful year in my life. It's funny, actually, because we did our embryo transfer on the 23rd of January and that's my birthday. So 23 has always been a special number for me. And listen, we have good years and we have bad years in life. But I'm very lucky and blessed to be fully present and in such a place of gratitude for the year 23. And what I love about you is you're always so honest about the ups and the downs. And, you know, all of this has come with a lot of hard work, with a lot of worry, stress. You know, it hasn't all been plain sailing and and that's life. Yeah, it really is. And obviously everything turned upside down in my life in 2017 with the breast cancer diagnosis. And since then, I have gone on this incredible journey Um, the ups and downs and riding the waves and trying to be honest along the way because I didn't just get my life back and everything has been rosy since then. And I think speaking to, you know, wellness leaders all over the world, you know, on my podcast, I think the message is always the same that if women or people, men as well, you know, I think they're getting great at sharing their stories. But as humans, if we can share our stories, we're helping people, we're being of service, we're making someone feel less alone. And that was really the reason for uh, me creating my podcast was I just wanted somebody in their kitchen who maybe is going through chemotherapy or is having a really tough day to just feel like 
they were less alone. Yeah, and that we all have these rock bottom moments mm-hmm. and as humans we can come through them and there's certain tips and tricks but just even the sharing of knowing that someone else is struggling can really help and ease because we do kind of put a polished look with social media and everything on these things that life is great and we do need to lean into what we are grateful for. But that sort of honesty is so powerful. Yeah, and it's really important. And, and you know, as my following grew and things got bigger for me, it was much harder to come on and say I was having a bad day because you just feel like so vulnerable in those moments. But I have to say, stay true to that. And I have to, you know, with the surrogacy journey, it was so hard. We started it in 2020, September 2020. I literally thought I'd have a baby in my arms within 11 months. And uh, it's taken us three years and there's still no baby in my arms. There's a baby in my heart and hopefully everything will work out well for us. But um, time... Trusting time is a huge, has become a huge part of my life and trusting the journey and believing that everything that is coming for me will come in time when I'm ready. And and that's been really a big, huge part of me getting through the last three years, especially on that fertility journey. Yeah, we think we can control so much and there's certain things we can on ourselves amid all of this, but then we have to just surrender and trust. But it is happening. You're going in a matter of weeks. Your surrogate is going to be giving birth and there will be a baby. I mean, it's mind blowing to me. I don't even know how you're doing it. What a journey. Yeah, it's um, I found out I was down at the 40 foot in Dublin about to jump into the sea with uh, Trisha Lewis, Trisha's transformation, who's mad and um, I just got a text to say congratulations your surrogate mother is pregnant because they just did a little hormone test so she was only two weeks pregnant and it was so unexpected and not the way I thought that I'd find out but it was also perfectly imperfect because I was by myself in my car and I got out and I ran up to Trish and I was like, Trish, I haven't even spoken to Jamie, my mom, you know, Pia, but I have to tell you something. And I just told her and she threw her arms around me. And she's like, right, get into the sea, dunk your head. It was freezing cold. And at that moment, I was like, this is the start. This is the first day of my next chapter. Yeah, and you told me in the sea as well, which is hilarious. <laughs> we met for a rather freezing sea swim and I was in the sea trying to gather my breath. And Georgie said, "And I, I haven't got to tell you, our surrogate's pregnant. And that is the best way to acclimatise yourself to freezing temperatures because it completely distracted me from that. And I celebrated with you just the same. It is incredible. It's been such a long wait, but I'm sure it's difficult to feel removed from this mm. pregnancy. It's a real gift that this is happening, but it's a totally different process to carrying your child yourself. Absolutely. And I'll just say that I only see my friends in the sea. <laughs> I need to like <laughs> do other things. The only time I've seen my friends in the last eight months I've been in the sea. But I was so lucky that I got to carry Pia myself. So I understand how it feels to be pregnant. And maybe that's tougher in a way in so, in some parts of the journey but I also feel incredibly blessed that I've got to experience that as a woman 
Um, so knowing that my child is in this earth angels tummy, um, our surrogate mother, who obviously I won't talk, you know, about her too much, but it's, it's there's a lot of trust involved. And I, I think it's really interesting because I've gone on such a journey with women over the past five years since my breast cancer journey, like friendships that I never even imagined that I'd have, support, love, connection. So it's almost so fitting that I'm having this experience with another woman on this earth. And I think that's helped me get through it because I have such love for women and such trust in women. And I feel like we're part of this incredible, you know, club together to know that this lady is doing this for me. Everything in the last five years has helped me trust this process and know that everything's going to be okay. And to know that I'll be in a room with this lady when our child is born and to get to hold her hand and support her through that. And then I'm sure she'll support me in the moments afterwards and we'll be there together is so unique and so special and such a gift that I can't see it. There's no fear. It, there is Because I think when there's so much love in your heart, there's no room for fear. So that's how I'm feeling right now about it. That is pure magic. And you're so, so right. How special. And modern day families and journeys to parenting is so different now. We all do it differently and there's a place for all of it. There are still some laws that need to change, aren't there? And I know you've been vocal about that and went public with your story early Mm. on because you still have some hoops to jump through. And that takes from the magic. And I think it's really important for me to ask that question after we just spoke about love and connection and all of that amazing stuff and that there are legalities that need to catch up with this because you've got some hoops to jump through before you'll be recognised as this baby's parent legally. Yeah, so even though the child is my DNA, it's this child is the same as Pia, it's my egg, Jamie's sperm, our embryo, um, because of the various, um, I suppose, lack of legislation. When we touch down in Dublin Airport, I will no longer be the child's mother on paper. So Jamie is the father. Um, after two years, with Jamie's permission, I can apply to be the guardian of my own child. Now, Irish Families Through Surrogacy are doing incredible work. Annette Hickey is our solicitor. If any People ask me all the time, how do we get into surrogacy? And I say, Annette Hickey, don't Google anything. She will, you know, lead you on a safe and ethical path. Annette Hickey and, and Irish Families Through Surrogacy are doing unbelievable work and we are taking steps forward so that I will be um, the child's mother um, through, you know, when they recognise international surrogacy. So... It's very complicated and I kind of skim the surface with it because it's so overwhelming. But yes, I did tell my story when appropriate to try to um, bring this, you know, topic to the forefront of people's minds because nobody had any idea. And I think it was the fact that I have to ask for Jamie's permission that really just I there were, when I heard that, I was like, I have to go full force into this and throw my support behind it when I can. Yeah, which is why I wanted to 
use this opportunity to voice it again. But, you know, we went from emotion and love into legalities and paperwork. Mm. And obviously there's going to be some involved in a circusy journey and everybody understands that. But yeah, um, that needs to be changed and changed quickly. Let's talk a bit about the book then. Something else you birthed this year. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody said to me before when I was going through the... um, fertility journey you know you give birth every Sunday to your podcast and it literally feels like (laughs) I do and you probably feel the same with your show (laughs) well if you go to any of these sort of women's circles or sometimes it'll happen in yoga like they often talk about you know your womb space and you don't have to become a parent you can Mm. just create something there's often talk about that and I think that's been a real mindset shift for me, that if you're creating something, it's really important. It doesn't necessarily have to be a <laughs> child. But man, a book is is a lot. And you really poured your heart and soul into that. And it felt a little reading it like you were sort of closing the door on something. Obviously, yeah. chapters of your life remain your story. But was that did that start to happen as you were writing it? Did it feel like that? Yeah, I didn't write it to close a door, but it very much felt like when I did, I was like, right, that's it. You know, what happened to me and the cancer and Jamie's MS, for example, and all of these, you know, bad things, people would look at them as bad things, but it happened. And I was really glad that I got to tell my story. But I think when I birthed my book, I was like, right, that's it. It's time for a new start, a fresh start. And life is a series of chapters. And as I said in the book, I'm so excited to keep turning the pages. Yeah. And like you say, at the opening, like this isn't necessarily a story about somebody who came through cancer. Like this is a story about life and it can be applied to any struggles. Life is is tough for everyone. There are challenges. Yeah, I got the most amount of feedback or the word I heard most when people read Glow was relatable. And that's exactly what I wanted it to be. That's why I was, you know, down in Dundrum, down in the coffee shop, surrounded by, you know, women coming in on their maternity leave, you know, people sitting down, having meetings with their boss, like stressed out people, sad people, happy people, girls coming in with their mums for a cup of tea like I was in the real world as as much as you can be in a Starbucks I suppose (laughs) but um, it was important for me to ride it out uh, outside of my little bubble which is sometimes kind of I suppose unrelatable you know sitting in my garden in Wicklow and surrounded by nature Um, I think riding it out in the real world made it more real yeah And started to think about what people are going through. Mm. And we all are. And that's the relatable story sharing that we talked about. Let's talk about the Boots Night Walk then. It is taking place Friday the 8th of September in Dublin's Phoenix Park. You can find out more. You can donate or sign up at bootsnightwalk.com. And it's in support of the Irish Cancer Society Night Nurses. And these are really magic people. And you know, because you've been through it, when your life turns upside down, really special people show up and become enmeshed in your story, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And when I I did a photo shoot for uh, or a photo call for this incredible event and myself and one of the nurses, Anne-Marie, were having a chat and I remember saying to her, like, you're amazing. Like, you go in and you provide this end of life care for cancer patients and 
you know, how do you feel? Are you okay in those moments? And it must be so hard on you. And she said, but it's not, Georgie. She said, I go in and I relieve, you know, family and loved ones for the night and I let them have a great night's sleep. And I go in and I look after these patients like they're my family and there's so much love. And I was like, wow, you are, I, I, any nurse, you know, the nurses are amazing, but especially the night nurses. And I took part in this event back in 2018 when I was coming out of chemotherapy and I had an incredible relationship with my nurses in the Beacon. And I had said, you know, to my family, I want to go to chemotherapy on my own. I just want to sit there. I don't want to sit down and talk to you for eight hours. I need, you know, a bit of peace and quiet. And but my nurse was there for me. You know, her name is Grace. And she was there for me when I needed my hand held or when she was putting the IV in or in my really vulnerable moments. And nurses are just the most incredible people. And that's why we're asking people to please come out on Friday the 8th of September. Walk just five kilometres with us. Uh, You can come by yourself, come out, walk with my family if you feel a little bit lonely. And just going back to what I was saying about people connecting with each other and love and, you know, to put some love back in your heart and get behind this amazing event and come join us in the Phoenix Park um, because it's going to be really special. And people going into Boots will see honour badges. I think this is really gorgeous. How how do they work? Yeah, and obviously not everyone's going to be able to make it up to Dublin or into the Phoenix Park on on Friday the 8th of September. But if you go into any Boots store, you'll see little honour tags and it's €2. And you can write down the name of someone who's been affected by cancer because we all know somebody. And um, the Boots staff will walk one metre for every honour tag sold. So um, if you can't make it, please pop into Boots, write down the name of someone and we will walk for them on the night. And then also, which I think is brilliant, COVID has brought in, I suppose, um, ways of thinking outside the box. So if you're down in Cork or you're in Galway and you can't make it to Dublin, you can do five kilometres over that weekend or whenever suits you in honour of um, the night nurses and make your donation online, which I think is brilliant, a brilliant way to show your support. Yeah, it's a really positive and beautiful thing, especially to get out walking. You know, Mm. there's something about walking that just really clears your head and really empowers you. So I think that's a really gorgeous thing to do. So that website, again, if you want to find out any information, you can register or you can donate at bootsnightwalk.com. So to the back to the baby that's coming, (laughs) the Good Glow is a big business now, helping loads of people, loved by loads of people. You're really in your flow with it. Are you going to be able to take a maternity leave and take some time out. Yeah, I think I've waited a long time to hold this baby, smell this baby, like adore this baby. Um, absolutely, I will. And Jamie, uh, we've got a team and Jamie is amazing at working, you know, for the Good Glow and everything he's brought to the brand. It's, it's just grown legs since Jamie came on. So, it will be a juggle, but um, this is so important to us. And I know that everything that I learned through this experience will, um, you know, that love will go into the good glow too. And we're excited for the next chapter. Yeah, me too. Well, as ever, gorgeous to chat with you, Georgie Crawford. Thank you so much. 
So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aoife Breen, to Simon Keane and to Hugo De Silva-Scott who was on sound and thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.